And good morning, church family. Good to see you. Kind of blew in this morning, didn't you? Or floated in, I don't know which, but uh, this is, uh, I mentioned to the uh, early service, this is kind of historic today because it was 30 years ago you had your last major hurricane, hurricane that showed up. So 30 years, here we are. And praise the Lord, you're in the house of God. Amen? And uh, praise the Lord, you've chosen to make this a priority. Appreciate everything. Thank you for the 50-amp hookups. Thank you for uh, the love offering. Thank you for, to Brother Tim and Miss Christine for the use of their car. And uh, certainly want to say thank you for the special music as well. It was a blessing to my heart. You know, I think a lot of times when God gifts us with things like that, uh, we can shout and enjoy it here. But what an opportunity to go out in the malls around Christmas time to get out into the public arena. Music is a universal language. Our six children were a singing group, and we found many times that we would get opportunities as far away as Israel. There was a, it was a connectivity, and we would be able to witness for the Lord just using music, where had we not used music, they would have never given us a time of day. And so I just want to say thank you and challenge you. You're probably already thinking that way, but challenge you to say, hey, let's, let's put that even out there uh, in, in areas of public arena, bring some tracks, and it is powerful. The doors God will open up in our Jerusalem using music. Take your Bibles this morning. I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. And as we're turning there, you don't need to stand. If you do not have a handout and you'd like one, raise your hand very quickly. My wife has them, uh, and she'll bring those to you. If you need a handout or a pen or both, just slip your hand up, and Deb will get those to you. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3. I want to begin reading in verse number 3 here in 2 Peter Second Peter chapter 3, look with me in verse number 3. The Lord through Peter here says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For all things, can, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Notice with me for just a moment. Notice in the last days there's going to rise up a large percentage of the population that literally mocks the idea that Jesus is coming again. They're scoffing, they're mocking, they're making fun of the idea, and they're saying, notice they're walking in their own lusts, and they're saying, where's the promise is coming? These days aren't different. Everything's going the way it always has. It's same-o, same-o. We are not living in the last days. But notice in verse number 8, the Lord says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But as long-suffering to us were, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Notice this flag plant statement to those scoffers, and even to you and me today. But the day of the Lord will come. Let me get very clear from everything I see in Scripture. Jesus is coming again, and he's coming again soon. And I want to share a thought to you this morning, really meant for American believers if you're here without the Lord, you need a Savior, you won't be missed as well. But I want to just share a thought concerning the last lap of time. I'd like to preach about this morning, with the Lord's help, the last lap of time. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you this morning for the great privilege and honor we have to be in your house and with your people. And we thank you that we can call you our Father. Thank you for the day that our faith found a resting place in the finished work of Calvary. And Lord, we rose up cleansed and forgiven. We rose up with a reservation in heaven and escaped from hell. But Father, we rose up with that new song in our heart and upon our lips, even praise to you, and you now were our Father, and we thank you for that. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus you'd bless our time now. As your word goes forth, may it lodge within hearts and may it affect lives. And Lord, in this last lap of time, help us to make a difference in these days in which we live. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last lap of time. I want to consider three things this morning concerning the last lap of time. First of all, I believe this morning that we are living in the last lap of time. Write that down. It's in your notes. It's the very first point. You and I this morning are living in the last lap of time. Let me say it this way. I believe these days are different than any other days we've ever seen or will see. We'll see. And you don't need mathematical formulas. You don't need visions of Jesus and all kinds of extracurricular things. In simple English and simple verse, the Bible shows us you and I are living in the last lap of time. Now, I'm not going to take time to look these up, but I want to just point them out to you for your homework assignment could be to look these things up. But there are indicators today from the Word of God that these days are different, that we are living in the last lap of time, that the return of Jesus is very, very near. First of all, there's a technological indicator found in Daniel 12 and verse number 4. Second of all, there's a moral and spiritual indicator found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Thirdly, I see a political and prophetic indicator in place found in Ezekiel chapter 11. That one I can say is simply this, Israel is back in her land today. She was rebirthed as a nation May 14th, 1948. And the Jewish nation came back again after 19 centuries, as was prophesied, they would be in their land, gathered in unbelief, preparing to meet their Messiah in Zechariah chapter 12 and 13. God's prophetic stopwatch has always been the nation of Israel. On May 14th and 48, the last few seconds started chipping down on the clock and we're living in the last lap of time. Israel is regathered today. And then fourthly, there's an economic indicator. There's others, but I just jotted a few down. I see an economic indicator today in place that would tell us we're living in the last lap of time. Revelation gives us a glimpse of that indicator. It says there's coming a day where no one can buy or sell without the mark of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation 13 tells us it'll be a global cashless society just before Jesus comes back. Yeah, could I say this morning, as before I, I move along in the message, when I was a teenager, had you told me there would be a global cashless society 
we would have collectively mocked you to scorn at the thought that that could happen. When I was a teenager, there weren't even credit cards. There was no such thing. Diner's card hadn't even come out. There was no such thing as cashless. There was no such thing as international ties cashless. Every nation had its currency. And to think that there could have been a global cash, just 40 years ago, we would have laughed you to scorn for suggesting you could have a global cashless society. But my, how it has changed. If you were to stand up today and declare that a global cashless society is not possible, you would be the one laughed to scorn. In 40 years, this thing has completely turned around, and for 6,000 years of civilized history, no global cashless society in this very last sliver of time, on the cusp of Jesus' return, we have a, an economic indicator that we are living in the last lap of time. These days are different. My son Kevin called me in the midst of the pandemic. He called and about a year ago and he said, Dad, he said, he lives in the Baltimore area, five of our grandchildren. He said, Dad, don't get me wrong. I've always believed the book of Revelation was going to come to pass. He said, but I just couldn't see how we could get there. He said, as I look around today, I can see how we're going to get there. You know what that young generation was saying? He was saying this. We're living in the last lap of time. These days are so different. We're living in the last lap of time. But I want to remind you, Jesus said, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. You know what the good news is for believers? Though we're living in the last lap of time, we're going to be leaving in the last lap. Of time. Amen? Write that one down. Man, the good news for you and I that are saved. If we're in a, we're in alive and remain, when the Lord comes back soon, man, we're leaving in this last lap of time. Amen? That's good news. And you know what's something sweet about the last lap? You might want to jot this down. The last lap is a special lap because the last lap has something no other lap has. It's the finish line. Only the last lap has the finish line. And as we look around us today, believers, you need to be encouraged in the thought that Jesus is coming again soon. And for you, the best is yet to come. We're living in the last lap, but this is not our final place. We're going to be leaving in the last lap of time. Amen? The finish line is looming for you and me very quickly. Go to 1 Thessalonians with me. I want to read this to you. For in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we find a description of that moment. What we would theologically call the rapture. Regardless of when you think it'll occur, it's going to occur. And notice in 1 Thessalonians 4, notice with me, it's noted. Look at how it's described to the believer in this last lap of time. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 13. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. It speaks of those who had died in Jesus, those that are saved. It's described as a temporary thing, not permanent. It's described as sleep. <clears throat> that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. Watch this, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And look at this to the believer. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Notice here, we see that moment noted, the, the instant that believers are taken away. We call it the rapture. And that moment is noted, and it's described as something that will occur in 1 Corinthians 15 in the twinkling of an eye. That's how fast this moment will occur. This, this rapture, this, this literally taking away of the believers, it's going to occur in the twinkling of an eye. How fast is that? <laughs> Well, let me just build that for you. Let me just set it up for you. The twinkling of an eye is faster. It, that's the, the light bouncing off your eye. It's the glint of an eye. It, it's, it's light bouncing, if you will. That's the twinkling of an eye. You say, well, how fast is that? Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. It means if you go out under the night sky tonight and you take your flashlight and turn it on for one second, 1,001, boom, and shut it off. That light beam, if unhindered, traveled 186,000 miles in that one second. That's how fast light travels. You know what that means? <laughs> the twinkling of an eye, it's faster than the blink of an eye. It's faster than your eye blinks. That's fast. You ever had a twinkling of an eye moment? <laughs> Am I online? Are, are they, I'm being sent out, good brother Marty, if he's tuning in on this or he looks, he's going to have a heart attack. But you know what, a twinkling of an eye moment. You ever had one of those, ooh, wow, just ching, ching? I remember mine. I was a teenager preparing for a basketball game on Friday. I was probably 13 years old and I was in a little small hometown school in Minnesota, yeah, ya betcha. And I remember that day, my right side started hurting, and it was kind of, as the day progressed, it just got worse and worse, and until finally I'm suited up, we're going to be doing warm-ups, getting ready to play and, and, and play this team, and I, I can't even walk, it's so painful. And Coach had me stretched out on a bench, and, and he started poking around, and he called my dad, my dad came in, and they found out I had appendicitis. So off to the Glencoe Hospital I went. First time under the knife, never been there. This was all a new experience as a 13-year-old kid. I remember they prepped me, got me all ready. And then the little anesthesiologist said this. She said, now David, this little tube I just stuck in your arm, this is where the anesthetic is going to be coming in. She had it hanging in a flask there, and she said, here's what I'm going to do. When I say go... I'm going to have you start counting out loud from 100 backwards. Count by ones. And when I say go and you start counting, I'm pulling the pin and that fluid, that, that anesthetic is going to come in your arm. And before you get to 90, it will knock you out. You will not be able to stop it. I said, really? She said, that's right. I said, game on. You know, here, my whole life is in the balance, and this is how a teenage boy thinks. <laughs> it came on, okay. So I'll never forget. She said, you ready? I'm ready. She said, on your mark, 
get set. And she said, go. And she pulled that thing. And I begin to count, 100, 99, 98, 97. I can feel it starting to go in my arm. 96, 95, and between 95 and 94, thunk. I woke up on the other side in another room going, 94, 93, 92, where am I? You know, when Jesus comes back, you're not going to have any warning other than what I'm preaching right now. No one will even be able to release a news break. No one will even be able to draw their breath back to announce on some ham radio, he's here. Just like that. Those of us that are saved are going to wake up on the other side quicker than a blink of an eye and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, look, at you're here. I never dreamed that would you. You know, wow. And if you're not saved in that same blink of an eye that I'm going to meet Jesus, you're going to be sealed in your unbelief and you'll buy into the lie if you heard the gospel and said no to him. Jesus is coming again. And that moment will be in a twinkling of an eye. Are you ready for his return? We're living in the last lap. We're going to be leaving in the last lap. But here's my thought. This is for American believers this morning. Turn the page over because here's what I want to focus on. It is the last lap. We're living in the last lap, every single one of us. Many of us are going to be leaving in the last lap. Those of us that are saved, we'll be out of here. But I want to give you this because I think this is what we need to do with this thought this morning. None of us needs to be losing in the last lap of time. You do not want to be losing in the last lap of time. Could I say as I begin this third and final point, which is my ultimate focus for all of us this morning, as I look at America today, I look at believers today and where we are as a nation and a people, You know, it's bad enough to lose, but it's just really stinging when you lose it in the last lap. Amen? I'm a runner. I've run many a race, and and it's bad enough to lose, but to, to be doing so well, and then in the last lap, man, you stumble and you lose it. The Galatian believers were told that in Galatians 5. The Spirit of God through Paul said, ye did run well. You were doing so well. What happened? And man, I look across. At America today, I look at American believers, I look at every one of us that are saved, and I almost say, men, we were doing so well, what happened? You need to recognize something about the last lap. You might want to jot this down. Not in the notes, but you might want to notice something. The last lap is a very unique lap. First of all, in my experience of the last lap of any race I've run, the last lap is the most exhausting lap. That's when you're most likely to quit. That's when you're tired, man. You've, you've, you've run all the energy out. That's when you're tempted to draw it back. It's the last lap. It, you are tired. You're exhausted. Amen? Yeah, and these days are exhausting days. Could I remind you? That's the last lap. That's the personality and nature of it. I recognize the last lap is the most distracting lap. That's when everybody's yelling. So when all the voices are screaming, everybody's trying to get your attention, 
It's so easy to turn and look. It's every, there's so many voices. And in this last lap of time, there's so many distractions for believers. You know something else about the last lap? It's the most painful lap. It's the one that hurts the most. Y'all with me? Man, it hurts. That's the painful lap. And you and I need to recognize in this last lap, Christianity isn't going to get easier. It's going to get harder. It's going to be more painful. And unfortunately, oftentimes as believers, we don't have the heart of David who said after that incredible loss, as God judged him for numbering the people, he came to that place to stay the plague. And Aruna, like a king, offered him everything for free. He said, here's the land. Here's the oxen. Here's the instruments. It's all free. And David said this, no, I will pay for this. For I will not sacrifice to my God of that which cost me nothing. Man, I look at American believers in this last lap and the pain that's part of the final lap before the Lord returns. And we're almost the opposite, aren't we? We almost have this attitude of, I will not worship the Lord with that which cost me something. The last lap has great demands. And we should not shrink from this. Amen? So you say we're in the last lap of time. And you do not want us to be losing in the last lap. No, the Lord doesn't want you to be losing in the last lap of time. You say, well, how? What, what, what should I do? Number one, let's look at the outline because this is, this is something I want to use to encourage you in this last lap of time. Number one, believer, in this last lap of time, don't lose your focus. Don't lose your focus. Go to Hebrews 12. It's sitting right up there behind me. I'm assuming that's your theme for the year. I never planned this. I just I looked at Deb during the song service and says, that thing's up there. I completely missed that. But notice with me in Hebrews 12, this is to be our focus. In Hebrews chapter 12, look at what's said here in verse number 1. The Lord says, Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we all store compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here's our focus. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus. Say that out loud with me. Looking unto Jesus. Say it again out loud. Looking unto Jesus. In this last lap of time, believers tuned in, sitting here right now. You and I do not want to lose our focus. And what should be our focus? The Bible's clear, looking unto Jesus. Notice what the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say looking unto government. Could I get an amen? Doesn't say that. Believers, we're not to be looking unto government. Number two, it doesn't say looking unto the news. Could I get an Amen. It doesn't say that's our tune-in. That's our obsessive focus. It's not the news. I shared in the earlier service that as I traveled America, especially in those early years, I would have a USA Today magazine sitting beside my Bible in a coffee shop. That's how I would start my day. I love to find Dunkin' Donuts. You guys are good about that up here. We've got plenty of those. I loved uh, Starbucks, Panera. I'd find a place after a workout, whatever I was doing. I'd go in there. I'd open my Bible. I'd buy a USA Today for 75 cents. 
And I would spread it out, and I'd have both of those, and that would be how I would begin my day in the public arena. People say, why USA Today? Well, I'm a Marine. We like color pictures, all right? So I would start there. <laughs> and I was sitting there in a coffee shop a couple, three years into this ministry, and I'm just merrily starting my day, got my cup of coffee, got a breakfast sandwich, and a guy comes along with another cup of coffee, and never seen him before, never seen him since. He stops, and he kind of snorts. He goes, eh. And then he said this, that's good news. And he pointed my Bible. And then he pointed the newspaper and he said, that's bad news. And then just walked off. I thought, how profound. It's true. Right? This is good news. Amen. And that other stuff is bad news. And the Lord says in this last lap of time, looking unto the good news, not looking unto the bad news. And yet many Christians are plugged into the news outlets, and that's their obsessive focus in this last lap of time. Can I remind you, we have missionary friends in China. The Chinese believers do not understand why American believers even watch the news. Because in China, the news is propaganda. They don't even waste their time. You say, but oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I have a conservative news network I watch. Fine, okay, maybe it's not big propaganda. But then as a minimum, all you do is get angry. That's all you do. You stomp around in anger, and that becomes your focus, obsession, and conversation. Could I get an amen? Don't you look at me like I'm weird. I know who you are because I'm you. I'm an evangelist and missionary to America. I know our struggles. And he doesn't say looking unto the news. Amen? He says looking unto Jesus. That's your focus. Notice what else he doesn't say. He doesn't say looking unto talk radio. Could somebody say amen? He does not say that. He doesn't say looking unto the markets. That's a wild ride. Boy, some of you had a heart attack and were sucking Maalocs about a year ago when this thing hit. Y'all with me? Woo! Screaming. You know, and then oh, it pulls out, and some of you sold when you were, ah, yeah. What a ride. Are you kidding me? And yet you stare at the markets. He doesn't say looking onto Facebook and all the drama that's there. That's exhausting. Y'all with me? It's exhausting. He says, looking unto Jesus. This is the last lap. We need to run this thing wisely. And he commands us in this last lap of time to look unto Jesus. Now I've got something to reveal your heart. This is a test. It works every time. You say, well, what's my obsessive focus, preacher? How can I know what I'm really staring at and who I'm really chasing and looking to is a simple test. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, after you brush your teeth and get your cup of coffee, what's the first thing you reach for? Huh? Is it the, is it the TV remote? Is it the phone and the news app? Y'all with me? Is it Facebook? Or is it the Word of God? Whatever you reach for first in the morning, that's the God you're chasing. 
That's your focus. That's who you're looking unto. Try it. It's true. In this last lap of time, we don't want to lose our focus. The lost people need us to keep our focus. Mom and dad, your kids need you to keep your focus. Grandma and grandpa, those grandkids need you to keep your focus. Y'all with me? And church family, all of us, we need each other to keep the focus. And as you focus on your God and your Savior, you're going to find a few things out about him. First of all, our God, write it in your notes, is a sovereign God. As you focus on him, you're going to recognize your God and your Savior is a sovereign God and Savior. Go to Daniel chapter 4. I want you to see this in Daniel chapter 4. And notice the truth that you and I need to just tuck away in this last lap of time as believers. In Daniel 4, in verse number 17, a very powerful truth that's gone for centuries, and it lands in our lap even today. In Daniel 4, 17, the Bible says this. Daniel 4, and verse number 17, just a little past the middle of your Bible, you'll find the book of Daniel, a few books after the Psalms. Daniel 4, 17 says this. This matters by the decree of the watchers. And the demand by the word of the holy ones. To the intent, in other words, for the purpose, that the living may know. What is it God wants us to know? That the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And giveth it to whomsoever he will. And setteth up over it the basest of men. Wow. You know, in this last lap of time, don't lose your focus. Keep your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. And as you stare and focus on Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father, you're going to find our God and our Savior are sovereign. Daniel 4.17 declares it. I started the year in Florida this year, and we started at a church in Gainesville, home of the Florida Gators. There's a pastor there who planted a work scratch work six, seven years ago, and it's, they're just coming up on a building program, and we're seeing the work really move ahead nicely. But as I came in there, Deb and I had a four-day conference, and just we had originally planned here, and we just went Sunday, Wednesday this time with you guys, but we had a four-day conference, and as we came in, we do what we always do. We meet people. We're people people. We, we like to meet people. And so prior to every service, we'd come 15 minutes early. We'd be talking to people, finding out things about them, getting to know them a little better. And I'll never forget on Monday night, as I came that 15, 20 minutes early, earlier, I sat, I sat down with two guys. One was a public school teacher, actively teaching in a public school at that time. And another owned his own business. And it was very clear where their political alliances were. One of them had a big shirt that said Donald Trump. All right? So you got to hear me through. Don't turn me off. Just hear me through. He had the shirt. So as we're sitting there talking, after a few minutes, the guy with the Trump shirt, he turned to me, and this is what he said. He said, you know what, Brother Summerdorf? God put Donald Trump in the White House. Yeah. I said, yeah, I believe that. I said, you want to hear one better? Sure. God put Joe Biden in the White House as well. You'd have thought I punched him in the nose. I mean, he's looking to see if he'd get a refund on a love offering he threw in the plate for me the day before. I mean, he's like, he is like, he is upset. And he said, how can you say that? 
And I took him to Daniel 4.17, and I quoted that verse right there. I said, because Daniel tells us that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of man, and he gives those kingdoms to whomsoever he will, even the basest of men. He seems to know the nature of a politician. Amen? I said, that's my verse. What's yours? Ooh, got quiet. We talked a little more, batted it around, and then he said this. He said, you know what, preacher? You're right. I'm wrong. You know, if you visit heaven this morning and just go up there and see what's going on, you know what you're not going to find? You're not going to find your God wringing his hands in despair, sucking down Maylocks, worrying about the midterms coming up, what's going on with this Afghanistan debate. He's got this whole thing right where he wants it. Do you understand no president comes to power without our God's permission? You understand no judge gets on that bench of the Supreme Court without our God's permission? Do you understand no politician gets put into office without our God's permission? And no politician, judge, senator, president, king, or potentate stays in power one second longer than our God allows. The song's true. Our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns. Yeah, there's high, but there's only one most high, and he's our God, and he's our Father. And if he's not pacing heaven right now, you as his child shouldn't be pacing earth. The Bible says, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. We were traveling through the Carolinas a few years ago. A little old sign at a church said it so well. said, disappointed in the elephant and the donkey? Try following the lamb. Amen. And I, I, it's sad today, but we got to remind God's people, you disappointed in the elephant, you disappointed in the donkey, why don't you try following the lamb? That's where you're supposed to be focused, especially in the last lap of time. Get your pens out. I want to give you a couple things. These are not in the notes. These are statements you will take and use for the rest of your life before Jesus comes again. Number one, recognize something here. We do not need freedom to be fruitful. Write that down. As believers in America, we do not need freedom to be fruitful. You with me? Fruitfulness does not come from liberty outside there. Fruitfulness comes from being unshackled in here and abiding in my Savior. Amen? If freedom's required to be fruitful as a believer, then Chinese believers got it all messed up. They got no free freedom whatsoever over there, but they are fruitful, and the joy of the Lord is their strength. Number one. Number two, write this one down. Recognize as a believer, we do not need a seat at the table of power to persuade men to consider Christ. All right? We do not need a seat at the table of power to persuade men and women, boys and girls, to consider Jesus Christ. Amen? And I wrote this down. The Lord is humbling Christians in America right now whose hopes and petitions have been more directed toward Congress than Jesus Christ. 
Write it down. You know what God's doing right now to his people? He's humbling us. Because our hopes and our petitions and our prayers have been more directed toward Congress than Jesus Christ. And as God brings these nations together, and we're watching it happen to a pre-drawn conclusion, the book of Revelation, allowing the Antichrist to rule, sometimes he gives a nation a leader who's better than they deserve. That's a space of grace. And sometimes he gives a people exactly who they do deserve. You and I need to recognize we're living in the last lap of time. And we need to keep our focus. Amen? We need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, not all those voices calling from the sidelines. The church today, and Christianity in America today, is not dying because of persecution. We're dying because of preoccupation. We are not looking unto Jesus. We are chasing everything else out there. You say, why? I'll tell you why. Because as believers in America, we don't want just one heaven. We want two. We want that one over there, praise the Lord, but can I have another one now? And we will throw the kitchen sink at everything we can to give ourselves prosperity and freedom and all that. Scratching and clawing for a second heaven that God never promised us here. Don't lose your focus this morning in this last lap of time. Amen? Keep your eyes on the prize. Our God is a sovereign God. This life is the variable. Amen? Isn't it? It's the variable. But Jesus Christ is our constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why stare at variables when you have a constant that's eternal? But second of all, as we look at this thought this morning, don't lose your focus. I want to remind you that not only is your God and my God a sovereign God, our God is a good and gracious God. Write that down. He's a good and gracious God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, our God is too good to be unkind. And he's too wise to be mistaken. So when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Amen? He's a good God. He's a good Father. And He's a gracious God. I wrote it this way. He's the God of the happy ending, isn't He? Isn't our God the God of the happy ending? <laughs> and I, I, just, I just remind you, I, I love a happy ending. I love happy endings. Could I get an amen? I am a sucker for a happy ending. I remember as we were on the road with our six kids for those first six years in our ministry across America, and I remember once in a while the kids say, Dad, can we watch Green Gables? Can we watch Anna Green Gables? You know, they want to watch that series. Who's ever seen the Anna Green Gables, Anna Avonlea series? All right. And so they, they say, can we watch it? And I say, well, um, how much time do we have? And they say, well, we only got about an hour and a half. No, you can't watch it. And they go, well, why not? I says, I am not watching just an hour and a half of that. And then going to bed and, uh, no, if we're not going to watch the whole thing, we're not watching any of it. Because I want to see the ending when Gilbert finally gets her. You know, you with me? Some of you are looking at me like, ah, uh, just watch it. 
it's really enjoyable. Even you tough boys, it's good stuff. <laughs> I want the ending. I love the happy ending. Listen to our God's ending. For those that go ahead and trust Jesus as Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. No other God but our God delivers like that. And he's not the God of the happy ending. He's the God of the forever happy ending. You don't live happily ever after with him. You live happily forever after when you trust Jesus as your Savior. Amen? Boy, in this last lap of time, don't lose your focus. You keep your eyes on the author and finish your faith. Second of all, I wrote this down. Don't leave your first love. Don't leave your first love. Paul said of Demas, he said, Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present evil world. Don't leave your first love. I'm watching believers in America do it. Trading the lover of their soul out for money, for peace, for material things. If you know anything about uh, D.L. Moody and others around his era, they felt the gypsies ought to get the truth, so they went to the gypsy camp and preached to the gypsies. Many were saved and one to the Lord. One of them became a very notable preacher. He lived late in life, up in almost 80-some years old. His name, Gypsy Smith. Late in life, Gypsy was preaching one of his final messages. And following the sermon, an old man came up to him, also aged, and he said, Gypsy, thank you for that message. And I was there to hear one of the first messages you preached when you were a young man. And Gypsy, nothing's changed. Back then, it stirred my heart. It lifted me to the Lord. It, it caused me to draw closer to the Lord and desire him greater. And I came to hear you one more time. We're both old men, Gypsy. We don't have much time left. And nothing's changed in your preaching. Your message stirred my heart, brought me close to the Lord. Gypsy, what's the secret to your passion and power with Jesus Christ? This is what Gypsy said. He said, sir... I've never lost the wonder of it all. I've never gotten over why he saved me. Boy, we start the race so well, don't we? We're enamored and taken with the thought, Jesus, he cleansed me of all my sin. He gave me heaven. I'm not going to hell. We start so well. And then somewhere along the line, that truth gets cluttered up with all the voices and all the other things. And we lose the wonder that Jesus saved us. On this last lap of time, don't lose the wonder of it all. And just wrap that truth around you. Jesus saved you and he didn't have to. He didn't have to, but he did. And he took you in, you and me, a big liability. He saved us from our sin. Don't walk away from that. Don't lose your focus. Don't leave your first love. And don't forsake your faith. Amen. I look at this message this morning, and it's really where we live in. It's our struggle today. 
And if you're here tuned in or you're here seated and you're not saved, could I just say this to you? Of all the things you could lose, the worst would be to lose your soul. Jesus himself said, what shall profit a man if he gains the whole world, everything, and lose his own soul? And that tells me the value of what's inside you. That tells me you're more valuable to God than the entire world. And what a foolish move to say no to Jesus and lose your soul. I look at a thought like this, and I want you to go to 2 Timothy 4, and we'll be done. We're living in the last lap. We're going to be leaving in the last lap. Absolutely none of us needs to be losing in the last lap of time. And notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is looking back at his Christian life. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 7, and he sums it up. He just looks at it, and he sums it up with this statement right here. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Look at what Paul says. He's about ready to cross over. He's about ready to finish the race. Look at what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. That's a soldier's statement. That's what a soldier says. Fought a good fight. And a Christian walk is warfare. He says, I have finished my course. (laughs) Well, that's what a runner says. Amen? An athlete would say that. I finished my course. I ran this race to its completion. And then he added this. I have kept the faith. That's a steward. That's an accountant. I kept what was committed unto me from my king. Paul gets to the end of life and he says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Can you say that right now in this last lap of time? Can you say, man, I'm right where God wants me. You know, I look at that thought and I remember this moment. I'll close with this because years ago when our family went to Germany and and I preached to the troops at a number of different churches, the kids sang and we we traveled around for easily a month ministering the word and singing. We met a young lady who was newly saved. Her name was Rachel. She was a soldier herself. She had been raised in a broken home and just a wicked lifestyle, and she got saved. And Rachel was the same age as my oldest daughter, Kimberly. She became almost an unofficial adopted daughter in our family. I literally call her Rachel, my little wreck, is what I call her. She was a disaster. If she were to call me right now and look at my phone, it'll say, Rachel the wreck. That's what it'll say. We begin to pour ourselves into her love on her kept the relationship over the years. I, I actually went ahead and officiated the, her wedding to Shane. And just where the, we were, Deb came in for the birth of her first child. We just got the news. She's got a second on the way. And of course, she wants Mumser to come in. But I remember as she was finishing up her time in the army, she took the VA payout and she went ahead and went through Bible college at Maranatha. And as she went through Bible college, it came the day for graduation. Of course, she wanted us there, so we came in. Really, I get to a college graduation, but I got to that one. And I remember as we came in, you know, they got the student body there, all the graduates. They're going to be passing in review, getting their diplomas. And they always pluck a a few out to come up and give some speech during the ceremony, you know. And I remember looking at that whole bunch. They They were all seated there, and there was one guy that just stood out. He so stood out. And all these 20-year-olds, 20 to 25, 26-year-old kids, all of them, there's one gray head. 
He's, he's right parked in the middle of the whole graduating class. I thought, what, they have a chaperone here? I thought, what's this? Now, he was a graduate. He was a graduate. I thought, you're kidding me. Man, what happened to him? I mean, it's, it's, he was like 60 years old. So I was pretty curious about the guy. And you know, of all the people they had come speak, one of them was him. And this is what he said. He got up to the podium and he looked around at the audience and his classmates. And he said, I suppose some of you are thinking, what am I doing here? Man, he pegged it. That's exactly what I was thinking. He said, well, for me, he said, I got saved late in life. He said, I look at my graduating class, my classmates, my graduating class with me. He said, all their life is ahead of them. I have very little time left. And so some of you are asking, well, why did you go ahead and go to college for four years and and all of that? He said, you know, starting late in life, I guess for me, it's just all about finishing well. It's all about finishing well. Can you identify with me in your race of service to your king? Can you say what I could say in my life? I've had some crummy laps from time to time. They've not always been stellar. I've had some bad weeks. I've had some bad moments. I've had some bad months. Wish I could have a redo, but I can't. Y'all with me? We don't always run the race. But here's the thing. From this day forward, from this very moment forward, by the grace of God, every single one of you can finish well. You can finish well. You can finish well. You say, no, preacher, I'm, I'm living in sin right now. You can drop the sin right now. Get your eyes back on the Savior and finish well. From this day forward, you can do it. You say, well, I'm not saved. You can get saved and get in the race. That's finishing well. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what losses you had last year. I don't care what decisions or struggles you have right now. Right now, at this very moment, you can drop the reins, cry out to your Savior, and by His grace, you can finish well. You can say at the end of this thing, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. You know, every one of us is living in the last lap of time right now. We all are. Some of us are going to be leaving in the last lap, but absolutely none of us needs to be losing in this last lap of time. It's the last lap. There's no more opportunities. It means it's the final one. Kick it. What do you have to lose by just pouring it on for your Savior? Well, I could die. Well, well, don't we all? What an honor to die for the king instead of some sorry cause that isn't worth even living for. Amen? Let's finish well in this last lap of time. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. And ask the musician to just come and play softly. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Where are you in the message today? Could it be in the message today? You're unsaved. 
the Lord comes back in the next few moments, you'll be sealed in your unbelief, having heard the, the gospel, and you'll lose the most precious thing you have, which is your soul. And right now where you are, you can get saved. You're just sitting right there. You can get saved. I never prayed a prayer when I got saved. I never went forward to an altar. I heard the message, and I dropped all my pride. I dropped all of my self-righteousness and my sin, and I just jumped across in my heart, and by faith grabbed everything Jesus did for me 2,000 years ago. You can be saved. You can be saved. Don't lose your soul. Please, don't lose your soul. Opportunities are very, very, very slim right now. It's the last lap. But believer, how about you? You know what you ought to do in this last lap of time? You ought to turn those electronics off. You ought to open your Bible. You ought to immerse yourself in the good news. You ought to memorize scripture. You ought to read missionary stories. You ought to get back in the fight and get in the gospel beyond you. Don't lose in this last lap. Don't lose your focus. Don't leave your first love. Don't lose the wonder of it all. Don't forsake your faith. It's the last lap. I know it's painful, but that's the nature of the last lap. Let's pour it on for our Savior. Those lost people out there need us serving. Your family needs you serving. More now than ever before. Father, thank you, Lord, for this thought. I pray you'd use it in our hearts. And Lord, as we, we just extend this invitation, help us not to just be hearers only. Help us to be doers of thy word. Please, Lord, by your grace, help us, every one of us, to finish well. We ask this in Jesus' name.